One of the hardest things I've had to do as a pastor through the years is work with the broken pieces of families who've gone through divorce. Perhaps maybe you listening right now, you have gone through a divorce and it was very painful or you're on the brink of divorce. Whatever the case may be, today we want to encourage you despite your circumstances. So open to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and let's get into it. Hey there, my friends. Jason Minnis here, welcoming you guys to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. So thankful that you guys are joining me today as we continue our study here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as we do a chronological teaching, verse by verse, in the Bible. So I pray it's been a blessing to you, and I welcome all the new listeners who have found us on various different platforms. Blessed that you guys are here. Our purpose here is to help you guys be grounded in God's truth, to know his word, to love his word, and as you live it out, that you would be a discipler, that you likewise will take what you learn on this podcast. And as you grow in your faith, you will help others. You will teach them to feed themselves. My friends, you and I know that we're under attack these days where most of the world is not Christian, and many people in America who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ in the United States do not have a biblical worldview. And that all starts with their lack of desire and diligence and also ability in terms of knowledge and worth resources in studying God's word to be grounded, to know it. And so this is a special ministry that we have devoted every single week to offer you guys this opportunity with me to dive into God's word. Now, today is a very sensitive one because this is about divorce. And the big question for so many people is what are the biblical grounds for divorce? And sadly, I've sat with many people who have tried to have some wiggle room as to why they have biblical grounds for divorce. Now, a lot of people, they don't, and they know that. And so they just run from it. And they surround themselves with people, or they avoid certain people. So they're not, I wouldn't say convicted, that's partly the case, but because of their guilt and because they know as a Christian what they're doing is not honoring to the Lord and does not have biblical support or biblical grounds, they avoid it entirely and will be around people who won't say anything. And those are avoiders. Those are people who never get to the bottom of why some of our friends have gone through a divorce who are Christian. I'm not talking about people outside the world. I'm specifically dealing with people who are Christian. Now, with that being said, I I do want you guys to understand as we're going to be looking specifically, and I'm going to read it in a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. And I'll be honest, even as I was studying and preparing for the podcast the last few weeks, and I intentionally paused and ended at verse 9, because this chunk of, of, of the scripture, you know, is really addressing some of these uh, concerns, but it's not very explicit. So it's very hard to work through some of what Paul's laying out here in verses 10 through 16 in chapter 7. So I'm going to touch on that exegetically in the text. But as I do that, I do want you guys to be aware of a book that I wrote with Baker Books and Summit Ministries called Challenging Conversations. 
And this book addresses in chapter six, the title is When Are Divorce and Remarriage Okay? And I got to tell you, I addressed nine controversial subject matters. And as I did, this by far was the most controversial subject that I had with a lot of Christians, particularly pastors, because a lot of them, and they would, I never forget it. When I was driving the car with a pastor, I was doing an event with him. I was speaking at his church and we were, I don't know, probably getting a bite to eat. And I was working on the book at the time. It was a few years ago. And as I was sharing with him some of the topics, like mental illness, and that specifically centers around um, the, the question really is, can you be a Christian and still suffer with depression and mental illness? Right now, obviously the answer is yes. But there's a lot of people in our culture today who don't think that's the case. Is substance abuse a disease or a choice? Is church an appropriate place to talk about pornography? Then I get into uh, issues regarding premarital sex. Uh, and then chapter six, as I said, when are divorce and remarriage okay? I deal with, can someone be gay or a transgender person and still be a Christian? And then I address abortion and politics and racism. So all of these controversial topics within the church, one of the most controversial, because it is the most personal, is marriage, the covenant. And so, my friends, I encourage you, if you are a faithful listener to this podcast and you've never picked up a copy of Challenging Conversations, a lot of what I'm going to be sharing with you comes from that chapter. Now, I start the chapter, and I'm going to start it this way, and, as, and then we're going to re revert into 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But have you ever known a couple who seem to have a good marriage? And then all of a sudden, they're separated, or they're divorced. Or how many times at church through the years, or even a family member, one minute they're married with kids, you knew they had some issues or some problems. You didn't know all the details. Maybe they opened up from time to time. And then all of a sudden, they're dating somebody else and they quietly got divorced. There's no doubt that there are some, and when I say some, I can only speak personally to the experiences that I've seen. And this is predominantly with women, with my team through the years in, in the local church ministry, where a lot of women have felt, and, and yes, certainly men, but predominantly men, or excuse me, predominantly women, who like the Scarlet Letter, remember that story with Hester uh, Prine, a woman who was forced to wear an A because they shamed her because she committed adultery. And there's no doubt that there, um, and I actually you know, say that, that the millions of Christians who, who, who feel like wearing a D, a big Scarlet D, if you will, stamped across their forehead because they got divorced. But the ones that I've talked to certainly have felt a lot of shame and regret. If they could do it all over again, of course they, they would do that. Now, through the years, there have been four positions that have been held in various churches. Number one, never divorce and never remarry. And I've actually had colleagues who strongly believe that. Matter of fact, even if you were a non-believer and you were married and you divorced your spouse or that spouse left you and you came to Christ and got remarried there are churches who believe you can't even be an elder because you've had a second wife despite the fact that your previous marriage your previous life was before Christ number two divorce is divorce okay obviously you can you know something whatever foul play infidelity adultery whatever to that degree 
and they say divorce that person, you have biblical grounds, but you can't ever remarry. Option three, or a position in the church still prevalent on in many denominations, is divorce only for adultery, abuse, and desertion, and you can remarry. And then, of course, there's a fourth one, which is very prevalent today. Divorce for any reason and remarry if you want. Marry whoever you want, okay? And so we're going to kind of highlight some of those things as we're going through through this passage. So I want to dive right in and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 10, to kind of set the stage so we can see what Paul is dealing with. Now notice he says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would not be unclean but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Okay, so in this section, Paul answers several complicated matters pertaining to marriage and divorce. A married couple, we are told in verse 10, is to seek reconciliation. But we're told in verses 12 through 13 that if an unbelieving spouse is willing to stay in that marriage and they are getting help, if you will, that Christian spouse is not to seek a divorce. Okay, so let's just pause right there. Let's just understand that, and maybe you're listening and you are in this situation yourself. You've come to Christ, let's say, after you got married and your spouse currently, whether it's your wife or your husband, is not a Christian. Maybe they're cordial with you in regards to your faith. You have children in the mix and they may go to church with you on Easter or Christmas Eve. And they don't mind you taking the kids, but they don't want to hear about it. You're not to divorce that person. If you know they love you, you're to be a witness. And I know that's hard. I know that's hard for a lot of you listening. But this is what the word of God says. God is using you despite your circumstances. Now notice though, in verse 15, however, if the unbelieving spouse abandons or deserts the marriage, the wounded spouse is no longer bound to the marriage. Now we have to understand something. We're going to dive a little bit deeper for my book, Challenging Conversations. Paul is what he's not advocating. What Paul is not advocating for people is for them to end their marriages on a whim. So you could say, well, I came to Christ and I've been sharing the gospel with them. They've gone to church with me and they just keep blowing off this whole God thing. It's not saying they're an atheist. They just choose not to, to buy into this kind of stuff. It's not for them. And I, it's so frustrating and I don't want to raise my family in this anymore. And so we need to get a divorce because we're unequally yoked. What Paul's saying is, is that is not a reason or the case, well, I came to be a Christian, they're not a Christian, and I decide to get a divorce. Okay, so none of those 
situations or, or explanations or reasons to get a divorce are biblically grounded in what Paul's saying, or even what we see what Jesus touches on in Matthew chapter 19, what clearly Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7. So we know that Paul's not advocating for people just to end their marriages on a whim because they just make the claim, we're unequally yoked. It just doesn't work out anymore, right? We don't see eye to eye. Paul is merely defending a married person's right to move forward with a divorce. So in this case, if they're abandoned, that's a whole different animal. If they've been deserted, if somebody in the marriage, clearly if they're a non-believer and says, yeah, you're a Christian, you're not the person I married, I don't like this, I'm out of here. Okay, let's just say that's just pure and simple. No abuse. Um, we'll get into, remember, we talked about conjugal rights. If you need to go back to our previous episode when we were diving into verses one through nine as we entered into chapter seven, that lays the groundwork. Okay, so obviously if they're not fulfilling their conjugal rights, they're not upholding to their role and responsibility as a spouse to take care, not just financially, but spiritually, now clearly if you're with somebody who's not a believer, they're not taking care of you spiritually, okay? So Paul is, is defending though a person's right though. If they find themselves where they've gotten, say, they, you know, they come to Christ, they're still with a spouse who's a non-believer and that spouse abandons them. Whether it's because they're a Christian now or they just don't love that person, they really didn't love that person, they shouldn't have gotten married in the first place, and that person walks out of the marriage. And sadly, that may be some of you listening. My wife and I have counseled many family uh, families out there who this is what happened to them. And they, and again, going back to verse 10, they were seeking to be reconciled. Okay, they were seeking to restore the marriage. That was not their intent to get a divorce. Again, we'll, we'll go a little bit deeper in that, but we're just kind of setting the groundwork here because I know a lot of this is technical, it's, it's complex, it's personal, it's real stuff, and it's messy, okay? But if you have been abandoned, you have the right to move forward. You have a right to move forward with a divorce if that person has abandoned you or they've been unfaithful to you not because they were sleeping with someone else, but on faithful in the sense of they were not there to love you and care for you. They left you. That's someone who's also unfaithful, right? Because they were not faithfully executing what you both said on the, on, on the day that you got married, right? The vows. Now, let me just explain a couple things here and then we'll refer to some of these specifics when it comes to divorce, Okay. This phrase that Paul said about being made holy about your family. Now, what Paul is not implying is that the unbelieving spouse is quote-unquote saved, right, by the holiness of their Christian spouse. So clearly we know that's not Christian doctrine. What it means is there is a benefit, right, to the influential presence of a Christian in the home. For example, my wife and I recently were talking to some grandparents. We were teaching a class and these kids are growing up with two lesbians. So their biological mom, we don't know the backstory, but I don't know if they were married, if she was married to the, the kid's father or they're just cohabiting or whatever, but they're no longer together and she's now married to a woman. So the grandparents are trying to be influential. They're trying to keep their kids plugged in and to hear the truth of God's word. 
So in that sense, those are grandparents, but, but the same applies to a spouse who is sharing Jesus, teaching their children the word of God and praying for their non-believing spouse. So there is an influential presence. There's a benefit. That's what he means by being made holy. Now, when it says here that the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. Now, an abandoned spouse who sought to reconcile a marriage is free to finalize a divorce. And if he or she desires to be in a godly marriage someday, that individual who's a follower of Jesus Christ is free to do so. Now, this is important to understand because when you actually look at sexual morality or adultery in the, in, in the, in the eyes and the teachings of Jesus, that is another biblically supported reason for divorce and remarriage. This is clearly Matthew 5, 31, 32, where he says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, full stop. So what we have to understand though, is he's specifically talking about the letter of divorce, the certificate of divorce. So what we need to now do is we need to dive a little bit deeper to understand what in fact is the position of how God thinks of divorce. Now, in order to do that, we need to go back to the Old Testament because God made a covenant, a marriage covenant in, in Hebrews, the breath with Israel. And it consisted of the promise in marriage, which was a contractual agreement, a covenant. We see that going back to Abram before he became Abraham in Genesis 15 through 17. There's a provision in marriage, meaning there's material necessities. So following God, you'll be blessed. And there's also the penalty in, in, in marriage, which is the broken vows that could lead to divorce. And if you go to the, the book of Ezekiel and you clearly look in chapter 16 and chapters 23, or chapter 23 in Jeremiah 3, 6 through 10, in actual fact, what you see when the Lord said in the days of King Josiah, Israel was being unfaithful. And so he was divorcing the people of Israel, not because God wanted to do that, but because of the adulterous behavior, that was the judgment that they had received. He says this and to, with the prophet, when Ezekiel, the great prophet said this, your lewdness and your whoring have brought this upon you because you play the whore with the nations and defiled yourself with their idols. You've gone the way of your sister, therefore I will give her cup into your hand. So as a result of that, God wasn't, you know, it's not his fault, right? To divorce Israel and Judah. They were turning away from God. They were worshiping other gods. They're breaking, again, the breath, that, that, the marriage covenant they had with God. So when you see Deuteronomy 24, uh, verses 1 through 4, again, here, when, when this is going back to the conjugal rights we're talking about in the book of Exodus, you see God's divine design of marriage now. So you see the marriage relationship that he had with the people of Israel. He called them out from nothing right, from just, a, just a, a nomad individual from the land of the Chaldeans, Ab Abram, who become Father Abraham and become the patriarch of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from, as we know, with Isaac, he has Jacob who becomes Israel and the Israelites. And God had a promise and brought them out of nothing. And so when you see the result in the Bible, when God brings marriage, you see from Adam and Eve, this beautiful relationship fast forward with Moses and you actually see God permitted his people to divorce why 
just like you see going back to the prophets because of their hardness, because of their idolatrous behavior, playing the whore. And so because of the hardness of people's heart, right, they permitted, it's not really allowed because allowing is just saying, I'm being passive about it. I'm allowing you to sin. But there's this permitted, not, not a permission. He doesn't give him a permission. Like, okay, fine, divorce the person because you don't think they see fit. But the question is, is though, what constitutes, according to what Deuteronomy 24 is talking about, to what Jesus then talks about in Matthew chapter 19. Now, I'm not going to bore you. I talk more about in detail in my book about Halal and Shammai. There are two different positions that the rabbis were looking at in these interpretations. One was very extreme in, you know, the meaning divorce for any reason. Uh, if you don't like your wife, if, if she has bad breath in the morning, you can divorce her. Give her a certificate of divorce. That's not the, the permitted side of the divorce that Moses was laying out in Deuteronomy 24. The stubbornness and hardness of their heart. But the other was for no reason, okay? So when the Pharisees, when you look at Matthew 19 to get to the point where Jesus stood, the Pharisees were asking Jesus what popularized view did he hold to? So when they're asking him, did he agree, like for example, with the Hellalite view, which taught that a man could divorce his wife for any cause or for any reason. So they were, were, were basically asking Jesus if he endorsed no fault or any cause divorce, meaning there's no fault of the spouse. They didn't do anything. They didn't cheat on their spouse, but you could still divorce them. Or there was no cause for divorce, but you could still divorce them. And the thing that Jesus does in verses 4 through 19 is he goes back, obviously, to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, verse 24, and he goes back to the purpose of marriage that was ordained by God. And the man shall leave his father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. And Jesus stressed the value of a monogamous marriage over the, the legitimization of divorce, right, and the cultural acceptance of polygamy, because many, many cultures did that. One wife wasn't enough, so men started to make these rules or these demands that they needed to be satisfied by, by other means. Well, clearly that's grounds for the divorce, but the problem is many of these women, they had no way out. But the point we have to understand foundationally is that when God designed marriage between a man and a woman, he didn't do so with the option for people to divorce if it didn't work out. And again, the question is, and it's very subjective, didn't work out. How many times have you heard that? Well, I've had many couples tell me, it just didn't work out between us. We fell out of love. God created marriage to reflect the endless love and beauty shared within the Godhead. There's that oneness, okay? And so when Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, meaning because of your stubbornness, again, going back to Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So notice that Jesus said Moses allowed or permitted them to divorce. He was stressing that divorce wasn't the case for the beginning because there was no sin in the Garden of Eden. And therefore, there was no need for divorce. This is important. Because of the unrepentance of some, there are, as a result of unrepentance, are concessions. And concessions, in fact, had their own legal category in Jewish law, just like there are concessions today. 
So you concede the fact and say, you have tried to restore this marriage, but for whatever reason, your spouse has abandoned you or has cheated on you or is not providing the conjugal rights and their obligation. And so the, they, they simply recognize the sin that leads to a broken marriage vows. And so God knows the marriages uh, will face betrayal. God knows that. God knew that in advance. But that doesn't mean that God desires for any marriage partner to continue in that betrayal because that's not love. And this is where I part with a lot of other past pastor relationships, colleagues, people in ministry that they would say, no, you, regardless, God hates divorce. God hates divorce. Malachi 2, God hates divorce. And they take that actually out of context. Of course, God hates to see brokenness. Of course, God hates to see that people are like a mom and a dad specifically since we're talking about a marriage covenant that's broken. Of course, God wants to see that that couple to thrive and to love and respect one another according to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. And so when Jesus was talking about sexual morality in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 19, based on the text, it's clear that Jesus didn't endorse the any cause position, nor did he limit divorce to only adultery. What Jesus was strictly responding to was groundless divorce. Groundless divorce. So if it wasn't the fault of the wife that her husband didn't want to be with her anymore, he'd give her to give her divorce. And that wife that ex-wife now was now free and therefore available if another man were to choose to marry her and to take care of her, to provide for her, to give her the conjugal rights that she's right to. See, God does not expect, he doesn't command spouses and particularly because it's predominantly, sadly, women who are in relationships where they are trying to keep it together and the church told him, God hates divorce, you got to just stay with him. But if he's abandoned that marriage and if he's cheating on you, you can move on. David Instone Breyer, who's an expert when it deals with a lot of the Jewish law with divorce and looking at the context, he says this, God does not criticize the legal process of divorce or the, per the person who carries it out. Otherwise, he would criticize himself. Because he had to divorce Israel, what I was talking about a minute, a minute ago. God hates the breaking of marriage vows that results in divorce. He says that breaking these vows is being faithless because it breaks the marriage covenant or contract. A marriage is ended by the person who breaks the marriage vows, not by the wronged person who decides to end the broken contract by enacting a divorce. My friends, that is so important and brings such clarity to people who've been abandoned, they've been betrayed, and they're the ones who have to file for divorce. And, it, and then inevitably, they feel, and people even around them say, well, you're the one that filed for divorce, so you're the one that technically divorced your spouse. No, divorce was simply the legal process to nullify a marriage. The actual sin that God despised and despises today, as you see in Scripture and we see currently, in life was is anyone who breaks the marriage vows that causes the marriage to end whatever it is whatever broke those marriage vows that give biblical grounds for that person who's the victim to file for divorce to have to do that so they're not just staying in an abusive or in a, in a deserted marriage 
they're not the cause for the divorce. Divorce is just simply the legal process. We have to look at what the actual sin is. So without question, marriage is to be permanent, no doubt. That's how God intended it to be. But that doesn't mean some marriages shouldn't end. Let me say that again. Without question, marriage is to be permanent. But that doesn't mean some marriages shouldn't end. That every divorce is right and not every divorce is wrong. Those who dismiss or overlook this truth fail to see redemption in brokenness. So when we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 15 through 16, let me respond to this question that is posed. What should a Christian do if their spouse walks out of the marriage? So let me just reinforce this once again. Let's go back to this passage that we're looking at and understand what Paul's saying. Again, verses 15 and 16, but if the unbelieving partner separates, it literally means divorces, let it be so. And divorce meaning not just handing the certificate, but divorce themselves from the marriage. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved, meaning is not bound or is not to be in bondage. That is very important to understand that. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, it would be a mistake to think that Paul is permitting Christians again to enter divorces. He's simply not doing that, right? He's simply stating the rights an innocent Christian spouse has. So if you're listening right now and you're a Christian and you're in this predicament and you've been deserted, you've been abandoned, you've been betrayed, and you contemplate divorce and think, well, the Bible says God hates divorce. God wanted me to stay married to the spouse. Of course, God wants that for you, desires that. That's what he intended marriage to be. But again, because of other people's sin, because of the stubbornness, because of the hardness of heart, People will do sinful things. We will not fulfill everything that God has for us. And as a result of it, there will be consequences. And so if you're in that situation, you have to look at what scripture teaches to help protect you because God loves you. So if you're a Christian spouse and you did what you could do to save the marriage, but yet your unbelieving spouse, even a Christian, let me tell you something. You can have a carnal Christian who's completely living in the flesh. And they want a divorce. They moved out or kicked you out of the house, whatever. The best thing for you to do at that point in time when you've tried to reconcile, try to make it work, try to understand what's going on, try to get the help. And again, from family, from your church, from professional help. And that person continually, willfully moves away rather than moving close to you and God, dragging this whole thing out over and over and attempting to make it work, making it work, making it work, that's going to cause more harm than good. And if you have kids in this situation, you know that to be true. A Christian spouse should do all they can, yes. But don't get to the point of desperation when you're not being wise and discerning. You can continue to try to convince the unbelieving spouse to stick around and be there for the kids. But if it's clear that they don't love you, they don't care about your needs, and I'm not saying selfishly, conjugal rights, your well-being, and they don't want to be a part of that anymore, and they just say, hey, listen, just let me go. They are free to do that in their own free will, but there will be consequences. You reap what you sow. But it's not your job to try to punish them and to retaliate or just to take it. 
That's a form of abuse. And you're only harming yourself. The key here is that the Christian spouse, so if that is you, you weren't the one who ended the marriage. Yeah, you may have filed for divorce and either work out the details with custody with the kids, but that was your last resort. But now let's say you become a Christian after getting married. Do you have biblical grounds to divorce your unbelieving spouse, as I was mentioning earlier? Paul's very clear. He says, to the rest of you, I say, not I, the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband, let me just skip it. Let me go back. If anyone has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean as it is. They are made holy. So we, we, we understood what he meant by made holy, right? It's, it's, you are an influential, powerful, beneficial presence that is activating God's truth and pushing back the, the, the darkness that is in that home due to the unbelieving spouse. No Christian has biblical grounds to end their marriage just because you have a non-believer and spouse and you become a Christian. Pray that you be that witness. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. It talks specifically about women being a witness to the husband. But, but stay the course. Don't give up. Pray for the salvation. I cannot tell you guys amazing stories of that very thing that over time with that faithful spouse to God, to their unbelieving spouse, and they pray every day and, and, and they are gracious and they're a bold witness, that is very effective and very powerful. If they're loving you, they're not abusing you, they are around, they're providing, they're caring for the kids, you know, obviously as best they can in their own flesh. Just because someone's not a Christian doesn't mean they don't know how to love. And sometimes when I've had to talk to a, a Christian spouse and just remind them, listen, God is still using your non-believing spouse, whether they give credit to God or not. A lot of them say, well, of course I believe in God and I'm a good person and I love my spouse and I love my kids, but this whole Jesus thing and forgiveness of sins, yeah, I'm not really there. That individual, though they may believe that, and I, and I believe, and I'm sure many of you guys listen, if not all of you listen to the podcast, say, yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life. So that person's dead in their sins, they're dead in their trespasses, according to Ephesians 2, 1 and Romans 6. So even though they deny Jesus as their Savior, it doesn't mean they can't extend grace and teach their kids about forgiveness and being a good person and being there for them for, for, for various needs if they're sick or they need to be picked up from school. So a lot of times what happens is sometimes people who are Christian and they see that, they think, well, this isn't working. I need them to be saved. We, we, we can't have one who's not a believer because it, it's, it's counterintuitive. See what God is doing and how he's using you as a witness and be faithful according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, okay? The last question before we end this podcast is abuse, is abuse a valid reason for divorce? Now, let me just ask you this. Let me preface it with this. Let's say you, and sadly, if this is you, I, I pray that you're getting help, that you have support around you. But let's say you're in a marriage and your child is being abused by your spouse. 
Would you let your child continue to be in the custody of an abusive parent? Of course not. Now, before I go any further, let me say this. Abuse is always wrong. So just because I'm dealing with a minor child, and then we put in context a woman who's being abused by her husband, don't think, well, that one's a minor and one's an adult. No, abuse is always wrong. If you're going to protect a child from an abusive parent, you will protect and should and ought to protect a wife who's being abused by her husband. So in the case of a wife, saying it's her God-given duty to remain submissive to a violent husband, I believe, according to Scripture, is contrary to the very nature of who God is. It is in, in, it is in direct violations of the teachings of what we see in Scripture for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And guess what? It says even further, and gave himself up for her. If you have a man who is beating his wife and the church is saying, God hates divorce, you have to be that positive personality in the home. We just read 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 14. If they're choosing to stay with you, but notice it's not explicitly dealing with an abusive spouse. So let's dive a little bit further. The Bible is very explicit about the type of marriage, again, that God honors. An abusive marriage is not one of them. But some argue that the Bible makes no mention of abuse. So they, they say, well, again, if you, biblical grounds, Jesus very clearly said it's sexual morality. Jesus, you know, and Paul talked about even if your spouse dies, and of course you can remarry, but that's it. It's either sexual morality or it's death. And you're a widow or a widower. Those are only two justifiable reasons for divorce. That's false. Categorically, that is false. Contrary to popular belief, there are several passages in the Bible that point to the legitimacy of, ab of abuse as a biblical reason for divorce. And we just read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. Let me read it again. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases... The brother or sister is not enslaved. So the phrase in such cases and then also not enslaved and then he ends it by saying God has called you to peace. So in such cases, number one, not enslaved, number two, and number three, God has called you to what? To peace. Let's start with the first. The phrase in such cases literally can be translated as in more kinds of situations than discussed. In other words, the wording that Paul uses here in the Greek is a broad reference to other kinds of cases that are similar to desertion that justify divorce. So, yes, he's specifically talking to the audience of Corinthians who are dealing with desertion. People who said, you know what, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of it. I'm out of this marriage. I'm out of this contract. And sadly, for many of them, it was a contract. So it wasn't actual love. So Paul's dealing with that specifically, just like Paul, or excuse me, just like Jesus in Matthew 19 was dealing specifically with the Pharisees trying to trap him about what view of it that he takes, what interpretation he takes, the Shemite view or the Hillite view. So of course, Paul's not going to dive into every single thing. So what he says in, in, in Greek 
in such cases, in these cases, he's saying in these cases like desertion, in these cases like when you're being abused, that's what he's referring to. Paul uses the plural phrase in such cases to make that point. People say, well, Jay, you're reading into it. If it was only desertion, it would not be in the plural form. Paul uses the plural phrase in Greek to point out that there's more than one scenario besides desertion that can end a marriage. An abusive marriage is grounds for biblical divorce. Dr. Wayne Grudem after thorough research into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, concluded that the phrase, in such cases, should be properly understood to include any cases that similarly destroy marriage. And guess what fits that description? Abuse. Point number two, we use the, that Paul used the word enslave. It's doulo in Greek. It means to bring under subjection. So people say, well, I still think you're reading into that. You're putting abuse in there. If Paul wanted to use abuse, he would have said abuse and not just use the word desertion. Again, you're taking out of context. On this podcast, we're trying to do our best exegetically to look at the text. And Paul is specifically dealing with singles, married people, people who are bound, desertions, specifically to Corinth. But we can still take these principles and these truths and apply them to our culture today. And because, you know, again, he doesn't have a computer and just can't write endlessly. He uses the plural phrase in such cases. And then he steps it up. And he uses, we're not to be enslaved. We're not to be under subjection. We're not to be held in bondage. Okay, What's an abusive marriage bondage? Sadly, I've had family members who have controlled their spouse emotionally, lied to them, manipulated them. I don't stand for that. It is absolutely and totally wrong. And I will never apologize for that. We need to stand up for people who are in bondage to their spouse, who have subjected them to abuse of all forms, whether it be emotional, verbal, physical, sexual. Paul is contending that no spouse ought to remain in a marriage that has subjected them to slavery or abuse. They are not bound to that kind of abusive treatment. And we as the church should not stand for it. So it is very clear, if God honors a loving and respectful marriage, where the two come as one, a cod, it represents the oneness within the Godhead. And you see the husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church and you see the, the wife respecting her husband and submitting to him, meaning that she finds shelter, protection, and comfort. And he's dutifully laying out the conjugal rights spiritually, uh, physically, emotionally, socially. He's providing for her. That's what God honors that's what marriage ought to be. But he says, for you have not been called to be enslaved. That's not what God has for you. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved, meaning a person who loves Jesus should not think that God wants them to remain in bondage 
in their marriage if they're being abused. Number three, Paul then underscores the phrase in such cases and using the term that we're not called to be in bondage, to be subjected to abuse. He says, we're to be in peace. That God has called you to peace. The word peace is Arian. And it means to be in harmony, to be in a state of peace. So let me ask you a question. And many of you guys are already, you're, you're, you're right there lock and step with what Paul's saying here. How can a person, right, have peace if they're in abusive marriage? The obvious answer, the clear answer is they can't. Marriage, as we know, is to be a union that is shared in love and mutual respect. Going back to David Instone Breyer, he, he says this, when neglect becomes positive harm, it turns into abuse. Neglect of marital support becomes physical abuse and neglect of physical affection turns into emotional abuse. So my friends, it is clear in scripture and you go, and I encourage you to spend time if you want to compare and contrast and you want to look at Ephesians 5 verses 22 through 33 and 1 Peter 3 verse 7 that husbands are to dwell their wives in understanding that the husband is to not provoke his children but to, to train them up in the, in the admonition of the Lord to care for them, to have that affection, to cherish his wife and for the wife to respect and honor her husband. When you look at the conjugal rights that Paul lays out in Ephesians 5, that is what God honors. Neglecting to care for a spouse's conjugal rights, it was in direct violation of marriage vows and therefore was a probable, probable cause for divorce. So yes, abuse of all forms is a direct violation of the marriage vows. That is a form of physical abuse when you're neglecting the conjugal rights. And we clearly know what physical abuse looks like when somebody is being harmed and beaten. Whether they try to hide it and they don't go to the hospital for recovery and we as Christians need to stand up for what God's word teaches and we need to protect. Predominantly, this is being done by women and children. We have abusive men. Not all abuse, not all desertion is on women, is being done on women. But the high, it's the highest percentage, my friends. And if you right now are listening and you hold fast to God's word, and you're like, I wish I knew this 10, 15 years ago. And you made a lot of mistakes, sadly, because you're being led astray by a church who took a very rigid and legalistic interpretation of Scripture. I pray that you, my friend, will find comfort in the Lord and that this help encourage you today. But you know what? God is good. He can take all the wrongs and all the things that we've gone through in our life and He can use it for His glory and not for our shame. So don't live in shame. Don't live in neglect. If you are currently in a situation and you desperately need help, one thing that I can certainly say is I want you to go to focusonthefamily.org. Focusonthefamily.org. Find an online, you can go online there and find resources about abuse. You can, you can get in, ton, in contact with, with a, there's a hot number there that you, will put you in contact with a personal counselor who can find out your situation, where you live, and get you plugged into a person in your community who's a professional who can help support you and even help you find a good church because you are not, my friends, listen to me, you're not alone. 
You're not alone. And you're not to remain in an abusive relationship. There is a way out. And it starts knowing that God doesn't want you to remain in that. And if there are also kids involved, all the more reason. And the Bible backs you. Paul dealt with this. Guys, that's why this is sensitive stuff. And I make no apologies for going long in this podcast and sharing with you guys this and and pleading with you not to fall prey to these denominational lines that have hijacked the text and have pushed couples to remain in these messed up God dishonoring marriages that God does not honor. We cannot stand for that any longer. So if you have any questions, if there is any prayer requests that you have, you can contact us at info at stanstrongministries.org. And please go to our website, stanstrongministries.org. Check out all the resources that we've made available for you. And if you want us to continue to be speaking this truth in the lives of people out there and helping Christians just like you stand strong in God's word, we need your support. You can become a Stand Strong supporter by giving monthly by going to stanstrongministries.org. Click on the donate button. It's tax exempt. We are a nonprofit ministry that exists solely to help reinforce biblical truth in your life. And we need your support now more than ever. As costs are going up, as we are expanding and the needs are far and great, we need more men and women like you to help. You can say, well, Jay, I don't have a lot. Hey, you know what? You give what God has called you to give. We just want you guys to join forces with us and we can work together to advance the kingdom. So I love you guys. Know that we're praying for you and asking that God will continue to minister to marriages and families that will be honoring to him and that God would use this message to help you make the right decisions that will lead to greater faith. Till next time, my friends, keep standing strong in the word of God. Oh,